So about six years ago, I, I heard about an unusually wise man from the 17th century named Nicholas Herman. You may know Nicholas Herman as Brother Lawrence. And when I first heard about Brother Lawrence, it was in reference to this work uh, that he, it's a series of conversations that are recorded uh, in a work called Practicing the Presence of God. If you've, uh, it's a short little read, you can find it on uh, like, I don't know, an independent bookstore of your choosing or if you dare, Amazon. Um, the, the title alone is what drew me in, the practicing the present, the practice of the presence of God. I was like, hold on a second. So you can, you can do that? You can actually practice the presence of God? That sounds so intriguing. And so if you, you know my, my temperament or my personality, uh, there's a lot of curiosity that I carry with me. So I was like, yes, let's do this. Uh, but then it was the statements that Brother Lawrence would make that kept me coming back for more. Lawrence says things like this. Men and women invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? And you would think so. You would think that the intuitive path, like the natural path between the creator God and his creation, the, the one who created all things and we who bear his image, that the natural path between us and God would be the common business of our everyday life. It would be that we would, we would as Brother Lawrence says here, that it would be so simple to find this story of loving union in the work that we do, the play that we play, the books that we read, all of this. But um, I know that I get like, I, I get paid to basically read about the Bible and how we actually follow the way of Jesus. So um, this, I guess, a little confession of your pastor, like even in that place, I can find like an absence of loving union with God in my common business. And so my guess is, is that if you are, um, I don't know, crunching numbers or pulling shots, uh, like that there may be a wide gap between your lived experience and the love of God that is seeking after you. And so the question that came to my mind is why? Why do we feel this felt absence? Well, around the start of the, the pandemic, this author and pastor, John Mark Comer, he released this little book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the title of the book, like Brother Lawrence's conversation, uh, it, I think it, it does a good job at signaling its context, its content. So that the practice of the presence of God is about practicing the presence of God. And The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is about, yeah, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. You guessed it. That's, that's it. Uh, job well done on that one, by the way. Uh, and so, but, but what's interesting is that the title, it's not Comer's own title. It, it comes from this conversation between a pastor and a philosopher. And so as the story goes, this pastor calls this philosopher who happens to be the pastor's mentor. And in a season of intense demands, the, the pastor calls out for counsel. And so he calls and he, he essentially asks this question of what should I do? And after a long pause, this philosopher, whose name is Dallas Willard, he responds and he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ironically, the pastor then like 
quickly scribbles down the noted advice and then uh, turns again and says, okay, so what's next? Another long pause. That, that's it. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry, as it turns out, it, it stood in the mind of this philosopher as the greatest threat to our life with God. I wonder if we were all, all asked, which I guess this is happening right now, <laughs> what is the greatest threat to your life with God? I wonder, like, for, for who of us, maybe we've read The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and so that's the thing that crops into your mind. I don't know if that's cheating or just wisdom, but um, per perhaps, like, I just have to submit, hurry would not have even been a category for me. Maybe I would say things like, I, I don't know, maybe it's progressive ideology or, or conservative idolatry or secularism or critical theory, be it on race or gender or whatever. Maybe those are a great threat to the faith but, or to my life with God. But I don't know if I would even register hurry as a, as a potential threat or a category for such. But my my what I'm struck with is that according to this philosopher who I've grown over this like last season to really begin to trust for him, hurry is indeed the greatest threat to our life with God. It's almost like asking a fish then, how is the water? See, when we think about hurry, it's like, this is the waters that we swim in. So it is such a great threat because we don't perceive it as such. It's just the air we breathe or the waters we swim in. And perhaps this is the thing that leaves us laden, like just weary and heavy laden. The, the poet and prophet Thomas Merton, um, he, he writes in Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, which are excerpts from some of his journals while he's living in this little hermitage in Kentucky. He's a monk. And he, he unpacks the seriousness of hurry. And he says it this way. This just uh, kind of wrecked me. Listen into this. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs, activism and overwork. And then listen to, to this. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps of the most common form of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to succumb, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. So welcome to church. Just some encouraging words for us today. <laughs> the violence of hurry. And, and what's remarkable to me is that the rush and the pressure and the frenzy of the modern life that Merton is talking about comes over 50 years ago. What would he say today? I mean, in 2007, the iPhone launches. And now this, this is what... Um, Professor Twingy, who's right, who, who writes in iGen, we are like my generation, millennials, we are the people who have grown up with this. But 
Even now, I can remember when phones were on walls. Uh, Griffin will periodically look in books. He has this little book like, where's Spot? And so we're looking for Spot. Oh no, Spot didn't eat his supper. We need to go find him. Where is he? Is he in the broom closet? Is he under the rug? All these things. And in one of them, is he under the stairs? Uh, There's a a telephone with the receiver and the windup. And he's like, the other day he said, daddy, what's that? I said, oh, that's a phone. And so he takes out his little hand and he starts scrolling. The the disconnect, it's just, so imagine what Merton would talk about with respect to the violence when these little computers are literally in our pockets. And now I don't, I don't want to like, there's immense gifts and connection that can happen between this. So I'm not like painting black or white. There's a lot of gray space and nuance between that. But what's just so remarkable is this point that we cannot simultaneously live in loving union with God while doing violence to our souls. We cannot live in loving union with God while at the same time doing violence to our souls, the violence of hurry. And so the question that comes just today, because that's a pretty bold claim. So the question that comes in light of that as we near the end of this series on emotional health and the way of Jesus is, can we be emotionally healthy? Can we notice, name, and attend to in love the things going on in and around us and live a hurried life? When the rush and pressure of the modern world bears down on our shoulders, can we do this? Can, can we actually be emotionally healthy and live a hurried life. And, and, and in a word, and I could be wrong here, I think, I think no. We cannot simultaneously live in loving union with God while doing violence to our souls. We have to have a different type of pace. I don't think this means that we remove ourselves from the world and like Merton go, in, like go into a monastery or, or something like that. No, I think that we need a different type of monastery. I think we need a different type of refuge. I think we need the refuge of the living Christ who is in our midst. I think we need a different type of place to slow down. And so... Because this is, this is like, I guess, the premise that I'm trying to work out here among you. And you don't have to agree with me, but I'm thinking that we cannot live in loving union with God and do the violence of hurry to our souls. And so what are we to do? Well, again, I, I draw your attention to Matthew 11:28. Come, take, learn. If you're not there already, flip or tap your way on over again. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Let this just wash over you. This is, the, this is Jesus, the Messiah, who is saying to those who would draw near, come to me. Do you know that today the living Christ is saying, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to me, I will give you rest. How do we do this then? Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. And you know why we can learn from Jesus? Why we can take his yoke? He tells us because he is gentle and humble in heart. When Jesus, when you open up the cavity of Jesus's life, what you find in the midst of him is gentleness and humility because Jesus can say there is no one and no thing beneath me because he has gone to the depths to build us up in love. So we can actually come to him and receive an entirely different way of being human, a way of rest. Uh, just by like a show of hands, how many would go for a little bit of rest? And I'm not talking about vacay. 
I'm talking about like genuine rest, like a place where you are comfortable in your own skin. Ah, Lord, let it be so. <laughs> like Holy Spirit, come. And Jesus says this, he says, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this, this invitation invites us to carry our common business in a new way. This is, this is what Jesus's yoke talk is all about. I love how Dale Bruner, who's a leading New Testament scholar in the gospel according to Matthew, I love how he breaks this down. He says this about a yoke. A yoke is a work instrument. And thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or a vacation. That's funny. So New Testament scholarship, haha, yes. They need a mattress or a, vac or a vacation, not a yoke. And then check this, Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear the responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. This is where we say amen. Amen, yes. Life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus helps us face reality. Jesus offers us equipment. Come on, Dale Bruner, for the win. Like, just to be able to see that the yoke is not this odd agrarian like term, but it actually is a place that we can then attach ourselves to Jesus so he can carry us. He can be our place of rest. See, there's no life hack for intimacy with God. You're not gonna find a BuzzFeed article that says 10 ways to be intimate with God. And maybe, maybe you can, I don't know if they're writing that. Um, but there is a pace. There's no life hack, but there is a pace for life with God. And that pace is slow. Kasuki Koyama, a, a Japanese theologian in Three Mile an Hour God, which the title alone and the, like, the artwork, the, the calligraphy on the front, it's green with gold, beautiful. Um, it's worth the purchase just to look at the title. A Three Mile an Hour God, this is what uh, Kasuki Koyama says about the pace of God. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's, it's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. And I get the irony because we're live streaming and I'm teaching from an iPad. I get it. So we have to hold the tension. It is slow. And I love this. Yet it is Lord over all other speeds because it is the speed of love. What if our pace of life lived under the lordship of the pace of love, under the love of Jesus? We, we talked about this last week, but most of Jesus's ministry is defined by interruption. T told the story of Jesus going through Jericho, and I'll tell it again because it's one of my favorite. It's, it's a story of who you may be you know, blind Bartimaeus. Like Finney, my two-year-old, knows the story of blind Bartimaeus. Maybe because Bartimaeus is fun to say. I don't know. Um, but, but Jesus is rolling through. He's making his way. This is, uh, this is, he's making his way up to Jerusalem where he has prophetically, like, um, he, he's spoken of his coming death there. And so he's making his way there. And he's joined by crowds, throngs of people. They're going through Jericho. They're on their way up. But Bartimaeus is saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops 
and he turns and he invites. He stops. He is still and he is attentive. This person isn't a project to be, like, to be worked out, a problem to be solved. He is the object of Jesus's love. And do you notice that because he's the object of Jesus's love, he stops? Because slow is actually the pace of the living God. And so just to, to carry this forward, that, that is to actually be a church that is emotionally healthy, not a church that just talks about emotional health or treats emotional health as an intellectual exercise. By the way, when we conclude this and we like move on to a little mini series called Put On the, the Rhythms of Jesus, we will not be emotionally healthy at that point. Or at least I won't. This is a lifelong project where as God goes with us into the depths of our being, we actually discover more and more how we can be like him. And so to carry this forward, we must slow down to live in loving union with God. Because Jesus is offering us rest. He is offering us a pace of life. And there's something that stands in the way, a thing that we could simply call hurry. And this is often a hard thing to put down because it's like, it's like my friend Jackson was talking to me about. It's as though hurry is this cage that we've lived in. And, and we can hear a teaching on hurry and it turns the lights on. No longer are we in darkness in the cage. But then we also realize that we possess the key and we're the only ones who possess the key to open up the door and walk into a different pace of life. But when you've lived a certain way for so long, you've lived at a breakneck speed, it can be scary to step outside of the cage though the path is illumined. You just don't know how to be that way. So I just wanna, I wanna turn our attention to that because like the, the how of this, I, I think is where we need some traction how might we push back against the violence of hurry and then make some peace in the slowness and stillness with God? And over the few weeks, we're, we're going to aim to unpack the how. Silence, solitude, and Sabbath. I'm really excited about all this, by the way, in, in case you can tell. So um, I, I hope that this would give way to a new pace for us as a community where we can slow down, be present to God, present to one another. And so with the remainder of our time, I just want to begin this conversation on silence. We're going um, to pick up again because silence and solitude kind of go hand in hand. But we're going to begin this conversation on silence, kind of this, how do I do this? And I just, I submit that of all the rhythms of Jesus, silence, it is the sweetest and it is the most challenging. And I just, I want to put it in front of us first and foremost, because I think it will take the longest for us to be willing to sit and allow the living God to love us. Because we are in that place. We are the ones who are rebuffing God's love, who are sitting in shame. And so we just need the pervasive love of the Father to seek after us, to push back against the lies that we've believed for so long, to love us into stillness. Or at least that's what I need. As Martin Laird puts it in his work, Into the Silent Land, which I cannot recommend highly enough, it is stunningly beautiful. Martin Laird, he says, we enter into the land of silence by the silence of surrender. How many of you love a good sermon on surrender? Yeah, come on now. Just losing control Absolutely. No, we hate, we, we, this like, this chafes in our soul because 
surrender, at least as Laird is talking about it, 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 it's about this surrender of an outcome. And that's what we want, right? Like I, I turn, I'm so game to turn to a technique because with a technique, which by the way, the difference between a technique and what we're talking about here in a moment is a technique is focused on the outcome. This, what we're gonna talk about is just focused on being present to God. So it's focused on the moment that we're in rather than what we will yield from it. You see, but this, this idea here, it's, this is, I think, where we get tripped up is because we want to turn, and I mean, by we, I mean I, want to turn to a technique for an outcome. I, I want wisdom about a decision. And so what I do is I begin to petition. Rather, than, intercession is when we pray for another and we bring them before God with the trust that he is the faithful one who will respond. A petition is where we bring our own stuff before God, trusting he is good and faithful to respond. And so I bring my petitions for wisdom. I seek counsel. I journal about it. And in all of that, I am weary to just sit and receive. And at this point, it would be helpful to know what silence is, would you say? So Comer is really helpful here. He describes silence as both external and internal. If you're a note taker, this is for you. External is when we get away from all the people and the noise and the stimuli and we let our body come to quiet. I imagine that you can even think of a place in your apartment or your, your home, or, or perhaps for you it's a park at a certain time of day where it's just, you know that that is a place where you can come to quiet. That's external silence. And then there's internal silence, which is a bit harder uh, this is when we calm, and, and just forgive the language if it's a little wonky for you at this moment. It, this is when we calm and center our mind on God. We come to a kind of mental and emotional rest in God. See, silence, this is where we sit and we allow God to love us. And, and the funny picture came to my mind as I was thinking through this. See, this is less like a dog that has begrudgingly let a toddler like play with its ears. Have you seen this where, where there's like a dog that's a bit bigger and there's a child climbing all over. It's pulling on its jowls and its ears. It's sticking its finger in places that you're like, no, 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 not there. And uh, the dog is just like begrudgingly putting up with it. This is not silence where God is the jovial toddler climbing all over us. And we're the dog that's like, all right, just love me. Just no, no, this is much more like a parent to a child. See, Griffin recently, and, and I apologize, most of my illustrations come between me and Griffin because he's just fantastic and the world is opening up to me in new ways with him, but I think this is helpful. See, no, silence is more like a, a parent to a child. Griffin recently transitioned to a bed on the floor. And what that means is that now I get to walk into the room. See, with a crib, you can't climb in to the crib. I guess you could climb in. I would, do, I would not do well to climb into a crib with a toddler. So I can now ask Griffin. I said, hey, buddy, do you, wanna, do you wanna cuddle for a little bit? I don't need any books. I don't need any games. I don't need any songs. I just want to be there and let him, I want him to let me love him. That's all I want. And, and when he says, sure, I know that I have about five to 30 seconds to just drink that moment in because then he's off. Where are the toddlers? The father is just yearning, yearning to love us. And silence is where we sit and allow God to love us, to be present to him. 
I love how the German mystic Meister Eckhart, how he gets at this. He says, there is nothing in the world that resembles God as much as silence, which is so contrary to my personality type where I wanna get loud and I wanna lift my hands and speak in tongues and like hear words of not, like I want all that stuff. And yet there is nothing in the world, and I've, I've found that this is more true than I would care to admit, nothing in the world that resembles God as much as silence, because silence is where we sit and we allow God to love us. And this is not passive. This is quite an active exercise. I don't know how many of you have sat in a moment of silence and then immediately like you feel your hand reaching into your pocket or to your purse or you're standing in line at the grocery and you're like immediately reaching for this thing or you, we don't know how to be just in that moment. This is an active thing where we receive God's love and in turn take on his restful yoke. And if you're thinking that this sounds a lot like meditation and maybe you're a little wary of it, um, it's because this is a lot like meditation. Uh, It's just a bit different than you may think. See, coming to quiet, it's not like in, in Buddhism where there's this idea of emptying ourselves and coming to nothingness. No, instead, for, for the Christian, silent meditation, this is about coming to God's very personal presence. It's not the absence of everything. No, it's the fullness of the living God. So we come to that place to encounter the living God. See, we say things like this all the time in the church. We say that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We are hidden with Christ in God. We say things like this all the time. And yet what that means, what that means is is that God is actually with us and then more so in us. So when we slow down, we're coming to the God who is in us. And I'm not talking about some panentheistic thing where you are God or you're gonna be caught up in the divine. No, it is a reality that the living God is part of not you, but part of your existence and is guiding you into loving union with you. I love like the Eastern church will talk about how the whole Christian journey is about the healing of our souls into loving union with God. How beautiful is that? That this is the Christ that has given himself fully for us. He's come under no one and no thing is beneath him because he is gentle and humble in heart. He comes under to build us up in love, to receive his rest. Which means that our thoughts, be they positive, negative, indifferent, our pain, our frustration, all of life can come to the silence. It is all welcome there. We can actually show up because in that moment, he cares more to just be with us. He's not sitting in judgment over us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not a moral thing when you're there. It's a thing of cultivating intimacy. And so I think this just leads to two really practical questions because by now I know you're eager just to sit in silence the remainder of our time. So you say, well, what do we do when we're silent? And how do we actually stay there? So what do we do and then how do we stay? Three simple things. And and I would um, ask maybe on your phone or a piece of paper if you have it, or I don't know, just do this to cement this in your mind. Choose a time, choose a place, set a goal. Choose a time, choose a place, set a goal. If you're an early riser, find a place in your home where you can be uninterrupted. For me, it's with a cup of coffee. It's usually either like in the dungeon of our basement or in the kitchen before anybody stirs. 
If that's not you, know where that place is. Perhaps it's right before bed. Set a modest goal. I literally, because this is just where I'm at, I set a timer. So I set, start at five minutes or three minutes if that's all you have. Five, 10, 15 minutes, slowly and incrementally work your way up. Just set a timer and then let that be the place that you are and just work your way up. And I just want to say, beware of perfectionism here. Beware of idealism, which leads to legalism. Because this is a place about being with Jesus, not about you being silent. (laughs) This isn't a religious task that you complete. And so if you don't want to do this, don't do this. This is all invitation. But this leads to this question, okay, so let's say I do want to do this and I have a timer and yet I don't, I'm not silent. There is chaos all around me. How do I actually stay this? Laird, again, in that little book, Into the Silent Land, he says this, we may be in a place of prayer. Not that this is true for any of us, by the way. We may be in a place of prayer, but our minds are usually not where our bodies are. Instead, they're at the mall, on the beach, reliving an argument, fearing the future, regretting the past. Any place but right here in the simplicity of the present moment. Just me, I guess, just me today. Uh, the, the absence of myself in prayer. Um, it is so, it's such an odd thing to experience that. This is what the desert fathers and mothers of the third and fourth century called mind tripping. How great is that? I think we, it's kind of intuitive. It's like when you're walking along on a path and there's a twig and you kind of catch yourself a little bit, except that's happening in your mind because it's so chaotic and swirly that you're going and you're trying to be there in that place with Jesus, but you're tripping all over this stuff all over this stuff. And so you you would say, how do we stay? Well, we come back to silence actually with prayer. And this is the thing that's been used in the great tradition for hundreds of years. And it's simply a prayer word. It's the Jesus prayer. And Jesus prayer goes like this. Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. This is literally a prayer that I will mutter under my breath. And as my brain starts to fly off, I just... Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And perhaps for you, it is just one word, just Jesus. And if at the end of the five minutes, your little timer goes off and you're like, I was not silent for a moment. You know what you just did for five minutes? You asked the Son of the living God, you asked Jesus Messiah to have mercy on you. And you know what? He is faithful. And as you build yourself up, I mean, have you ever seen a baby learn to walk? Or perhaps you've like even just seen like, I don't know, Discovery Channel, like a giraffe drop out of the mom and it's like, it's a little fumbly. Like we cannot expect that we have, we'll be sprinting in this, spending an hour in silence with the living God. That's ridiculous. If we've never done this before, that means we have a muscle that we've never used. And so we have to slowly work our way into this because this is a place of loving union with God. See, this little moment, it is a place of grace for us. It is a place where we can then actually take the love that we receive and live out of it. It is a place of constant renewal because God's mercies are anew. They're refreshed every day. And I think at least for me, I need to be reminded of that. And the place of silence is there's no performance there. There's, I'm not getting a grade for it. I just, I can be more and more who I am right there. And that is the gift that it has to give.
And so I actually, this might feel extremely uncomfortable for you. And I'm okay with that because I think this is collectively, we can be uncomfortable together. We are just, I'm going to watch my timer here and we're just going to spend a minute here. We're just going to, so I'm going to pray and I'm just going to ask God to help us to be silent. And as you, as you feel this, maybe you just take a slow breath in, a slow breath out. And on those, on the inhales and the exhales, you just pray that little prayer. Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. So let us just, let us see here. And the stuff that comes to our mind as, as we feel ourselves drifting, just pray that prayer and come back to the living God who wants to pour his love out on you. So let us sit in the silence with Jesus for this moment. Amen. The challenge that we will face is constant noise or paralyzing boredom. Those are our expectations. And that's okay. Because the noise will subside and the boredom will give way. And you know what's right there, what's been there the whole time, is the presence of the living God. So I want us to turn and I want us to remember that this is who Jesus is, that because he is for us, we can be with him. If you would stand with me, we're, we're gonna turn to remember Jesus in the bread and the cup. We are gonna, um, we're actually gonna take this, this time. We're gonna sing some songs here that, that may to you, may feel like, well, that's a, this is a bit of a somber note to finish on. I mean, we're hearing about the exultant Jesus who reigns supreme in the heavens and he is the one who's meeting with me to remind me of the consolation I have. Like, this is true. And so what I, I wanna do is just to say that for our community, um, one way of doing things is not the way of doing things. That we are all really different and that that's a good thing. We wanna celebrate our difference. And, and in the midst of that, embrace that it's Jesus's love that holds us together. So I would just invite you um, to, to take the bread, to take the cup, knowing that it is Jesus's body that has been broken for you. It is his blood that has been poured out for you. And we do this in remembrance of him. So if you would take, receive, and as we continue to worship through song, would you would you find yourself, like maybe even visualizing yourself, just throwing off, taking off, or perhaps Jesus is taking the yoke of hurry and of the oppression, the demands of your schedule off of your back. 
And then he would be slowly coming over and putting his loving arm around you and embracing you. So let me pray and we'll continue to worship through song. Jesus, we honor you. We honor you with our presence here. We honor you because you are good. We honor you because you are faithful. We honor you because you did not consider the shame of the cross as something that you would turn away for, but you willfully stepped into it. You bore our shame. You took on the iniquity of humanity. And in that place, you were vindicated. You were raised from death to life, never to die again, so that we who are in and with you can say that we are free. We are free indeed. So let us sit to receive your love. Let us sit in the freedom of God. Let us actually be loved as the children of God. So I just pray your peace over this community. I pray your rest over this community. I pray that the removing of bondage and shame over this community in Jesus' name, let us remember you. And Jesus, would you meet with us? We pray for your tangible presence to help us remember your goodness in the core of our inner woman or inner man. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Meet us with your grace.